Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Welcome to Silicon Valley Reads. Started in 2003 as a one-book, one-community program, Silicon Valley Reads has grown to become a thriving community engagement initiative throughout Santa Clara County, including books and events for all ages. Presented by the Santa Clara County Office of Education, the Santa Clara County Library District, and the San Jose Public Library, Silicon Valley Reads gives our community new perspectives and understanding of important, relevant issues and encourages people to read, think, discuss, and engage. The theme for 2021 is Connecting. We are adjusting to living our lives in a pandemic with more solitude than ever before. This year, we are focused on finding our commonalities and talking about the things that bring us comfort and joy. We've selected 10 books to encourage everyone to find the connections that are uniquely meaningful to them, whether through relationships, food, nature, art, music, animals, or books. We hope you enjoy today's presentation. Thank you for attending. Hello, my name is Dr. Marianne Dewan and I am the Santa Clara County Superintendent of Schools. I serve as a co-chair for Silicon Valley Reads. Silicon Valley Reads is a county-wide community engagement initiative in partnership with the Santa Clara County Library District and San Jose Library that aims to unite the community of Santa Clara County through the joy of reading. This is the 18th year of Silicon Valley Reads and our theme is connecting. While the pandemic has forced us to keep physical distance from one another, this year's theme allows us to connect virtually, not only through a love of books and reading, but through cooking, the arts, nature, and more. For more information about the 2021 titles and events, please visit www.siliconvalleyreads.org. I would like to take this opportunity to thank today's moderator, Sal Pizarro. Sal has written the Around Town column for the San Jose Mercury News since 2005. His column covers the people and events surrounding the cultural scene in Silicon Valley. Now, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce the Cupertino High School Acapella Choir under the direction of Andrew Aron. Fun. 
I'm a high-knot flower and a rainbow rider and a straight shooting son of a gun. I said a straight shooting son of a gun. Welcome to this year's edition of Silicon Valley Reads. Thank you for being here, and thank you to the Cupertino Choir for that wonderful song. We are indeed at a time when the world needs all the joy that it can get. As Dr. Dewan said, my name's Sal Pizarro, and I'm the Around Town columnist for the Mercury News. In a normal year, we'd be sitting together right now at the De Anza College Performing Arts Center, but as we all know, this is no normal year. And that ties into this year's Silicon Valley Reads theme, Connecting. Tonight, our conversation will be using as its springboard Dr. Vivek Morthy's book, Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, but even if you haven't, I think you'll really enjoy tonight's conversation. Now, unfortunately, Dr. Morthy, who served as Surgeon General under President Obama, and is President Joe Biden's nominee to return to the post, couldn't join us this evening. He's a busy guy right now. But we will be hearing from him in recorded messages later in our program. Instead, we'll have a panel discussing these themes, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest tonight who you can see on the screen. First, we have Dr. Sarah Cody familiar face to so many of us here in Santa Clara County. Dr. Cody joined the County of Santa Clara as public health department 20 years ago and currently serves as its director and the county health officer. She oversees a staff of 450 people who lead more than 30 programs dedicated to providing services that prevent disease and promote health and equity. And as we've all learned over the past year, she also assesses and reports on community health and works on policy and strategic planning. A native of Santa Clara County, she graduated from Stanford University and Yale Medical School before returning to the Bay Area to do her residency at Stanford Hospital. Before joining the county, she completed a postdoctoral fellowship as an epidemic intelligence service officer with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention Sounds like kind of like a spy for diseases, but I think that's worked out in our benefit. We also have Dr. James Doty. So we have Dr. Cody and Dr. Doty. Dr. Doty is a neurosurgeon who has spent the past 20 years at Stanford on and off, plus a period as an entrepreneur during which he took Accuray, manufacturer of the CyberKnife public. Too bad it's on GameStop. It might be doing great right now. But the important part of his work for our purposes is that he founded the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education at Stanford. Dr. Doty has studied compassion, empathy, and altruism over the past 12 years, and he's spoken around the world 
promoting the value proposition of incorporating both compassion and self-compassion into one's life. He's also the best-selling author of Into the Magic Shop, a neurosurgeon's quest to discover the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart. And here's a true fact you probably didn't know. The popular K-pop band, BTS, used Dr. Doty's book as the basis for their third album, in which a song appears called The Magic Shop. And finally, we have Ucha Srinivasan. She's the founder and president of Mosaic America, formerly known as Sangam Arts. It's a Silicon Valley nonprofit whose mission is to move American communities like ours from a state of just diversity to one of belonging through creative engagement. A classical Indian dancer, Ucha has served on the city of Santa Clara's Cultural Commission and on the board of World Arts West, the producer of the San Francisco Ethnic Dance Festival. She's an alumna of the Multicultural Arts Leadership Institute and was selected by the Knight Foundation as a Creative Community Fellow in 2016. Now, prior to founding Sangam Arts, Usha worked in the high-tech industry for nearly 15 years and holds an electrical degree in electrical engineering. She's also an ace solver of cryptic crosswords and a big fan of British mysteries. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Morthy can't be with us, but we're going to hear from him right now in a few clips from an interview he did with the Commonwealth Club in May. Let's listen to those clips. When we focus on social connection, it turns out that that is extraordinary potential to transform our experience of life. And I found in the writing of this book and in, in researching and talking to, uh, to people about their stories that while we've had social connection around for millennia, we've largely left it on the table in the modern age as a powerful resource that needs to be cultivated and prioritized and paid attention to. I found that service is a powerful antidote to loneliness. And the reason is because when we're lonely, we actually experience an elevation in threat level. And because we feel threatened and unsafe, our focus shifts inward toward ourselves. And as it lasts for a long time, loneliness can also erode our self-esteem. And we come to believe we're lonely because we're not likable. And this actually contributes to this downward spiral where loneliness yeah. begets more loneliness. But service is powerful because it breaks that cycle. It shifts the focus from someone from ourselves to someone else, but it also reaffirms for us that we have value to bring to the world. We are all struggling with something. COVID-19 has turned our lives upside down. It's created extraordinary hardship in many people's lives, um, but it's changed all of our lives. And even though we may be in different boats, we're in the same storm. And that gives us an opportunity to reach out to other people, to ask how they're doing and to see how we can help. And that's a great point, that we are all in the same storm together. So next, I'd like to bring up our first panelist, who's Dr. Sarah Cody, who I previously introduced, the Public Health Officer for Santa Clara County. Dr. Cody, uh, the floor is yours to talk about uh, the pandemic and how we're getting through this together. Thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, and particularly with such distinguished panelists. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about uh, the pandemic and, and how, how I've experienced it and I think some things that, that, that I have learned. Um, I just want to acknowledge it's been 
an extraordinary year in many ways. It's been extraordinarily difficult, but it, I think we've also learned things that we never thought that that we would. Um, and that a year in, each of us are experiencing a certain degree of fatigue um, and need to think about how do we fill and restore our buckets, our, our emotional buckets, and, and what does that? Um, because certainly a year of the pandemic can, can make some of us feel a little, um, a little low on those reserves. So uh, first and foremost, I remember distinctly um, about, we were about, it was about a half a year ago, we were in the emergency operations center and we were watching our numbers climb again, uh, and much of our county was still closed. And we're hearing from so many people in the community um, who were, had just been struggling uh, for so long. Um, and I remember, you know, many of my friends were really tired of, um, of being at home in difficult circumstances. And that's when I realized that, that being able to serve and having agency to make a difference how grateful I was to have that feeling um, and how nourishing uh, that feeling is for, for so many of us. Um, and, and that any little thing that you do that gives you agency and you understand how you're contributing to the greater whole, that in and of itself um, can, can really fill uh, your reserve. And I've seen it in ways large and small, even things like grandchildren going grocery shopping for their grandparents and helping in that way. Um, uh, neighbors coming together, each doing something that the other might not be able to do. And of course, the hundreds of thousands of people who have volunteered uh, in so many ways during the pandemic. So um, I think out of that, what I've seen, you know, the bright spots that, ha that have come up, one is uh, incredible... Um, resilience. Uh, people have uh, kept, kept at it, uh, staying at home, wearing their masks, getting by, being creative month in, month out with phenomenal resiliency. And part of that, I think, is also a creativity in adapting uh, and doing things uh, completely differently than anyone had ever uh, done it before. And I think chief among those is um, all of us learning how to use technology, learning how to connect um, uh, over Zoom or Teams or any of the other um, modalities that I'd never used until a year ago. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed is that now that we have this permission um, to uh, connect virtually and not have to be together in order to have an interchange, it actually strangely has opened up many new opportunities. I, I, don't, I, I imagine many of you have experienced that there are people from way, way, way in your past who um, have reached out or organized a reunion online. I know I've heard from everyone from a best friend in first grade that I haven't heard from in 30 years um, to, to college friends, to some friends um, who are more recent, but uh, who I'd been out of touch with. So there's been a lot of, um, ironically, uh, a lot of reconnecting uh, during the last year and during during the um, pandemic. I even know of some friends um, who, who cook together um, or who, you know, meet every Friday evening uh, to unwind and chat and talk about the week. 
And I think that this is the way that we're going to be for a while. Uh, and it's the way that we're going to be able uh, to move forward. I, um, after an extraordinarily difficult year, having a vaccine available uh, has been a beacon of light, um, something that, that makes me feel a bit more relaxed. Um, at the same time, it's also difficult um, to share that while we have a vaccine, all those things that we've been doing for the last year, we actually need to keep doing. Uh, and we're not even quite sure how long that's, that's going to be. So I think that things will ease. Um, uh, but in some ways, we have to continue to wear our masks uh, and to meet um, uh, over Zoom or other modalities whenever, whenever we can. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been an extraordinary year. I know uh, everyone is, is um, quite hungry for our old life. And to some extent, we've all gone through many different stages of grief from uh, anger to denial uh, and, and, and acceptance and sometimes uh, channeling, channeling through all those feelings um, uh, more than once. Um, but but through it, uh, I think that we also have each of us individually and as communities in many ways uh, become stronger. Uh, and I hope that the strength that we've found um, will, will carry us uh, forward uh, into the next chapter and through whatever, um, you know, whatever challenges we may, we may face going forward. So um, uh, happy to answer questions, of course, very eager to hear from the other panelists. Um, and thank you again so much. Uh, for inviting me to join you this evening. Back to you, Sal. Thank you, Dr. Cody. And there will be opportunities for the audience to ask questions. Uh, I think you can do that through the chat and then following our panel discussion and the questions I ask, I'll be able to ask some audience questions. Uh, but now we're going to see two more clips from Dr. Morthy uh, talking about how we connect best with other people and a little bit about love. So let's roll those clips. And one of the things I realized through so many of the amazing people I met along the way was that our ability to connect with other people is really grounded in our ability to connect deeply with ourself. And what does it mean to be connected with yourself? Well, it means to accept yourself, to know that you have value and you have self-worth. It means to be grounded and to be centered. It means to be at peace. When we approach other people you know, from a place of centeredness, when we know our worth, when we walk into a conversation, we actually get more out of those interactions because we're not trying to be somebody else. But the reality is that our worth as a human beings is much more intrinsic. It's not determined by the size of our bank account. It's actually determined by our intrinsic ability to give and receive love. That's what determines our worth as a human being. So as we introduced Dr. Doty to talk to us. I thought it was interesting. Dr. Morthy talked about this emotional spiral people go to and how service can be a coping mechanism or an antidote. And so now we're going to hear uh, from someone who is an expert on how we cope and how we deal with these kind of things. Dr. Doty, the floor is yours. Let me tell you a very quick story about my own self and the journey that resulted in me being with you uh, today. Because for many of us, who we are today is a manifestation of our past. And uh, my own past uh, was that I was a child of an alcoholic and a mother who was an invalid who had a stroke uh, when I was a child. 
and was chronically depressed. In fact, she attempted suicide. Uh, neither of my parents had gone to college, and we actually uh, <clears throat> were quite poor. And I grew up as a child who was very frightened, afraid, filled with despair, anger, hostility. And the way this uh, connects to us today is that at the age of 12, I actually walked into a magic shop and met a woman by the name of Ruth. And uh, for those of you who are interested, uh, uh, that's actually in uh, the book that Sal was kind enough to mention. But the point of this is that what happened to me was that I was always afraid and anxious. And in some ways, this is uh, what the pandemic has caused uh, for many people, the sense of isolation, the sense of loneliness, the sense of not having a future, perhaps. And this woman in the magic shop taught me a number of things. And interestingly, many uh, related to uh, Eastern religious practices. So the thing she taught me was, first of all, that one of the things that causes stress and anxiety and fear is not accepting. And what I mean by that is many people create their own anxiety and fear because they won't accept uh, the present, what's happening to them. They want something that's really not available to them. They want a different future. And this has been a real problem with the pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, certainly, there uh, was an uh, epidemic of stress, anxiety, and depression. And with the epidemic, uh, because of isolation and loneliness, this unfortunately has been exacerbated. So one of the things is to accept that there is a pandemic, that there are certain requirements as a result of that pandemic, and not keep resisting that reality and accepting it. So that's one of the tools that an individual can use to uh, be more present because you're not thinking about a past. As Dr. Murthy also noted, we are social animals. Uh, we thrive with connection. And when we're isolated from other people, uh, oftentimes this leads to self-rumination. And unfortunately, this is also just the nature of humans in general. Oftentimes uh, we'll say, geez, the reason uh, I'm lonely is because people don't like me or I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough. Uh, and as a result, we beat ourselves up a lot of the time. In fact, many people are more critical of themselves than they are of anyone else. And this spirals out of control where your focus actually is a negative dialogue with yourself. And as a result, this exacerbates every feeling that you have. But what is the cure for that? Well, the first thing is to accept yourself and understand that the negative dialogue that you have is actually a false narrative. As, a, as humans, we oftentimes uh, hear negative commentary and we turn to that. And as a side effect of that, we create this narrative of negative comments about ourselves because that's what, if you will, sticks to us. So one of the first things you have to do is understand that that narrative is not true 
and then convert these negative comments to positive comments of self-affirmation, kindness, love for yourself, and a feeling that, in fact, you're worthy. Because you see, when you beat yourself up so much, when you're inwardly looking, this separates you. You're not able to live in the present. But what we know is the present is what is necessary to have true connection with another individual. And part of that connection means not only being kind to yourself, but being authentic, which is oftentimes very difficult with the stresses and strains of us are on us in this modern world. Because you have to remember our DNA has not changed in the last 200,000 years. So we're the same uh, as uh, we were on the Sudan in Africa. But unfortunately, evolution does not change that quickly. And the same uh, me- uh, uh, mechanics that put us in that position or the baggage from evolution that allowed us to survive wonderfully in that environment isn't uh, with us today. And as a result, we often overreact, we get anxious, we get fearful. So first of all, being kind to yourself. Second of all, being authentic. And what I mean by that is in the modern world, so many people uh, try to present themselves based on credentials, their position, their power, their social connection. And unfortunately, though, that is not something that truly connects you with people. Because until you can truly say, as an example, I'm suffering, I need help, uh, then it doesn't work. You can't connect. So when you're vulnerable, when you're authentic, This is one of the most important parts of true connection. And as Dr. Murthy said, true connection also is an outward journey. Because again, when you reach out, you are of service. Then interestingly enough, when you are compassionate, when you're being of service to others, it has a huge, huge positive physiologic effect on you. In fact, when you're inwardly focused and you're hypercritical, it has negative effects. So in that context, what happens is your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, your immune system is suppressed, you have the release of inflammatory proteins, you have the release of stress hormones, which on a chronic basis are very deleterious to our health. But when you're being of service, when you're out This has the opposite effect. In fact, being compassionate, being kind, being of service has more positive effect, actually, than being at your ideal body weight or doing exercise. Now, I certainly don't uh, recommend not doing exercise and not being at your ideal body weight. But my point is, this is the power of compassion, of being of service. And many people, when they hear the term Uh, compassion, they think it's soft and squishy and allows people to walk over you. But the reality is it's just the opposite. And in fact, what happens is that when you're truly authentic, when you're truly vulnerable, when you are of service, when you're generous, this actually improves the entire environment around you. So to be happy, 
This requires you to be kind to yourself. It requires you to care for others. It requires you to be of service. It requires you not to be afraid, but to be accepting. It requires you to be vulnerable. It requires you to be authentic. When you're able to do that, even in the face of this pandemic, it will have huge, huge positive effects on not only your own life, but everyone around you. All right. Thank you, Dr. Doty. We're going to now run another clip from Dr. Morthy uh, before we talk to Usha. So let's roll Dr. Morthy. Because while there is the threat of a social recession with COVID-19, there is also the opportunity for us to step back now and ask ourselves, where do relationships and people fall in our priority list? How do we want to build a people-centered life going forward? Okay, so now we heard about a people-centered life. And that sounds like something that, that connects right to our next speaker, uh, Usha Srinivasan. So I think she's going to come on now and talk a little bit to us about how uh, we connect as people and culturally. We've heard about mental health and physical health, uh, but now I think we want to hear a little bit about cultural health and, health and how we work together as a community. Usha? Thank you, Sal, and thank you to the Commonwealth Club and to Silicon Valley Reads for this amazing opportunity. Uh, we just heard from Dr. Doty and also Dr. Sarah Cody earlier about the importance of interpersonal connections, even during these times of COVID, in maintaining our physical and emotional health and well-being as individuals. Uh, what I'd like to talk a little bit about is the nature the quality, the extent and depth of these relationships and connections and the impact they have on the health and vibrancy of the community at large. Um, even before COVID hit us, I think most of us who've lived here for a while in Silicon Valley have experienced a certain social malaise that perhaps we never articulated, but we felt. Um, there's something missing. Um, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that over the past two or three decades, we have seen tremendous demographic changes, changes that would normally happen in places over centuries have happened in a matter of three to four decades. Uh, when I first came here to Silicon Valley to attend Stanford um, in 95, we were still about 70% um, white, 65, 70% white. Uh, fast forward today, we are a majority minority community with no race or ethnic group making up uh, more than a third of our population. That is tremendous amount of change that has happened in a very short period of time. Um, also, uh, partly because of the, the shift from agricultural economy to uh, a technology booming technology hub, we've seen tremendous migration from not just people from other countries, but also from all over the US. In fact, as of 2018, um, Santa Clara County had about 38.5% of the residents here who were born in other places. Um, in fact, only about 30% of those who live here actually are native to even California. So we have a large proportion of our population that has no roots to this community over here. They don't have a shared history. And then in a related trend, we actually have people that have perhaps lived here for decades 
that because of the cost of living or because their children can no longer afford to be here, don't foresee themselves living here in the next 10 to 20 years. So let's think about that. So we have um, very tenuous connections to our history of this land. We don't have shared experiences uh, of events that, that form the basis for feeling of community. We don't see ourselves having a shared future. And more importantly, we don't have those authentic connections between people in communities on a sustained, repeated basis. What has happened is we find ourselves living in cultural silos. We all see that. I see that in my community as an Indian American. Uh, and it's, it's true for many other immigrant communities. The fact that we may work and transact with a variety of people, but at the end of the day, we go back to kind of living, eating, praying, playing with people that are most like us. And that has resulted, I believe, in a certain fraying of the social fabric or the connective tissue that is the basis of a healthy community. Um, we all kind of live in our little cultural silos as hyphenated Americans, some of us feeling more American than others. But all of this, I think we can understand without even the research to support it, is really it represents a social dysfunction. Uh, and more importantly, it represents um, the failure to realize the true potential of America. And so what do we do about this? Why does this happen? It is my belief that this has to do not just with the rapid pace at which the changes happen, but also with a flawed model of social integration and connection that we have come to rely on in America. So we always talk about how America is a melting pot. When you think about that, what does that mean? It means that people can come here from many different places and in this crucible of democracy and freedom, just become American, indistinguishable from each other. Well, we all know for a fact that that model didn't even suit and apply to our African-American and indigenous brothers and sisters. And it most certainly does not hold true anymore when vast majority of immigrants come from places like Latin America and Asia, people like me, people who even if we decided to give up eating curry and change the names of our kids would still be asked, where are you really from? So what does that, where does that leave us? What do we do? Well, I believe that we have a great opportunity to really redefine what it means to be American, to create what Dr. Cody call, uh, Dr. Dodi calls these authentic connections, to bring our whole person to every interaction. Because we all have a nuanced understanding of our own communities and cultures, but we have a very monolithic and stereotypical understanding of others. What we need to do is to come together as a mosaic, much like the tiles of a mosaic are beautiful and glorious on their own and valuable on their own. But it is the, the picture that they create together that is even more glorious. We need to develop a certain cultural competency and openness, a willingness to be vulnerable, willingness to come proudly as we are and come together uh, bound by American values not only to show off our diversity, but kind of identify the common threads that bind us. And that is what we need to do. And I believe, um, and this is a shameless plug for my organization at Mosaic America, we believe that this can be accomplished through arts, through intercultural arts. When you bring together artists and culture bearers who can be great ambassadors for their own cultures, and they come together in a manner that is open-hearted, 
curious when they co-create and collaborate and present works in a way that draws a diverse audience, we can all realize the true potential and strengthen our community and move it from merely being diverse to being a community in which everybody feels like they belong. With that, I'm going to turn back to Sal. And thank you, Usha. Uh, I'd love to be part of that, that world where everyone feels as though they belong. Uh, I think we're lacking that in so many ways now. Uh, but now at this time, I'd like to invite our other two panelists to turn their cameras back on. And we're going to have a bit of a group discussion. I'll be directing some questions uh, at you individually, but I'll have a few that I hope we can all uh, answer. Uh, except me, I don't answer questions, I just ask them. That's part of, it's in the job description. Uh, but first, and I'm gonna start with Dr. Cody, uh, but before I do, I do want to mention that I know a lot of our audience probably has a lot of questions uh, for you that are related to what's going on with COVID-19 in the county and health orders, and that we want to stay on topic tonight. And so I'd really encourage them uh, to keep the questions about uh, connectedness and uh, being together and for information uh, on the pandemic right now, the best place to go, I believe, is still the county website, sccgov.org. And all the update information is there. And, and really, the dashboards will tell you everything you need to know. You can read all, all the current information. So I encourage you to go there. But going back to what you spoke of, Dr. Cody, you mentioned the fatigue and how people are having to sort of refill their emotional buckets. And I wanted to start with you and ask, how have you been filling your emotional bucket? Because you've been on the front lines of this thing for basically a year and you've seen so much and been handling so much. How do you keep yourself, uh, your emotional bucket filled? And the other two of you can think about how you're going to answer that. Uh, well, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, and I will be the first to acknowledge that, that I'm not, uh, I struggle too. Um, my emotional bucket runs dry too. <laughs> so I've not perfected this uh, by any, by any means. Um, I can tell you about um, uh, what, what I've experienced actually is um, my colleagues at the County, which uh, w one of the wonderful things, well, I love our County government. I'm just going to come clean. Um, <laughs> and one of, one of the many things that I love about our county government is that um, there are people from every different community in the county who work for the county. Um, and so in some ways, we do have the opportunity to have a very um, interconnected and diverse uh, community just among county colleagues, um, which, is, which is really lovely. Um, and this has certainly been the case in the emergency operations center. So a group of us have been sort of like, you know, hunkered down in a bunker together for, for almost a year, um, you know, some moving in and some moving out. Um, and, uh, and that's really, I would say, where I fill my emotional uh, bucket. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, in a sort of the dynamic of the group is we take turns um, uh, feeling really energetic and really positive and able to lead and then feeling, um, uh, you know, worn out and tired and a little bit discouraged. Um, but there's always somebody who's feeling really energetic and can kind of lift the others. Um, and it just, it's kind of a natural cycle that's occurred. 
Um, I don't know if my colleagues on the call probably thought more about this and studied this, but this is just kind of how how I've experienced um, uh, being in the bunker uh, with my colleagues. Um, I also, of course, uh, I am um, uh, a native of Santa Clara County and multi generational Californian, and so I have deep uh, deep roots here, um, and many family and friends who who also sort of help uh, help me. Dr. Doty, how are you filling your bucket? Well, in some ways, uh, uh, it actually has to do with my family. Uh, I'm a neurosurgeon most of the time. And uh, uh, because of the pandemic, our, my elective practice has markedly decreased. So frankly, I get to spend a lot more time at home, uh, which is typically unusual. So I have uh, two children at home and uh so I hang out with them and my wife and certainly enjoy that. And the other thing, I was talking about acceptance. And I think uh, the nature of resiliency is that you're able to adapt. So I had no regrets about the past. Well, certainly I had some, but my point is I didn't hang on to that as that's the most important thing. I look forward and uh, have accepted the limitations that I'm under so I don't create a, a lot of angst about the situation being different. And I think that's very, very important. And then, of course, uh, uh, there are a small number of friends that in a socially distanced way that I have interacted with, which is wonderful. And in some ways, uh, that ends up being the people typically you're closest to or the friends you're closest to. And uh, the other is, uh, although it seemed strange at first, this idea of using Zoom or Skype or other techniques to connect with people, while it's not necessarily ideal, it certainly has served as a source of connecting, exchanging ideas, and um, I'll say virtually being with somebody. And while it's not perfect, I think that is helpful as well. And Usha? Um, thank you, Sal. Um, for me, I have um, I'm blessed in so many ways. You know, I, in my household, my parents live with me, my aged parents and, and my young kids. Um, I have a lovely dachshund and of course my husband. And so it's a full house. Um, but I have, I have cultivated a, a gratitude practice that really helps me um, kind of tide over the bad parts. And there's plenty of that. You know, I'm so grateful for the fact that my elderly parents are with me and I can care for them and tend to their needs here rather than worrying about them from afar, which a lot of um, uh, my friends who have parents in India or elsewhere, um, they experience. I'm also grateful for the fact that my kids have all the resources they have. So that is one aspect um, I'm constantly reminding myself. So that helps. Um, also, art, the arts, you know, I think um, in times like these, um, especially given the work that I do, which is about bringing artists from different cultures and providing them with the resources they need, especially in this time with um, to co collaborate, co-create and present works that highlight our uh, commonalities, but also celebrate our glorious diversity. Um, that is very nourishing to me. And, um, you know, I have a wonderful team um, that works on these projects with me, and I'm grateful for that. So um, finding purpose in everything you do, and at the end of the day, having a wonderful family that nurtures you, that accepts you as you are for with all your flaws, um, has been a blessing. And I rely on that a lot. I think we all are relying on family and other things like that. 
to just keep us together. Now, Usha, when you were when you were talking, you were talking about how we live in siloed communities, and I never really thought about the the hyphen, which you know when we you know think about being Mexican American as I am, or others are Asian American, African American, Indo American. You know, the hyphen was supposed to be simply connected the two cultures, but you're right in many ways it's it's creating a separation now. Um, how do we get past these siloed communities going forward when the pandemic hopefully is over and we can come together again? How does that work? So um, um, it's it's my understanding and my belief that, um, again, you know, arts and humanities offer great vehicles for these kind of dialogues. Um, you know, certainly we all live as hyphenated communities on the edges, hoping that somehow someday we will become American. Well, we know that that's, you know, either we have to very, wait a very long time so we're all beige Americans or we can rethink the way we define what it means to be American. And there are no easy answers. Like I said, what we have gone through in terms of demographic shifts here in Santa Clara County is what a place like India went through in cent- over centuries of colonization, invasion, settling. So uh, populations there had tremendous amount of time to adjust and come up with a new uh, stasis or st- uh, equilibrium, right? We have to accelerate that process of becoming more culturally competent, of being kind of redefining our in our minds, questioning everything we say and do, um, and kind of accepting that we are all American, that being American doesn't require you to look a certain way or pray to a certain God or eat certain things. What makes us American is our shared values, love for country, our love for freedom, liberty, and all the beautiful things that, um, that America stands for. And I think what we need to do is to be very deliberate. Um, we certainly do programming that encourages this kind of intercultural um, uh, you know, performances and opportunities for people to get together. But we need to all make sure that we are bringing our authentic selves to every interaction we have, whether it's at work, whether it's with our neighbors. We are not kind of you know, forcing ourselves to switch. Like I remember when I first got out of business school and started to work, I didn't show up in my glorious Indian Americanness, right? I showed up as a high-tech product manager, even though you look around the room and we were all very, very diverse. We looked like we stepped out of a Getty's image, stock image, but we didn't bring that diversity to our conversations. So maybe it's some of that is fear of rejection. Um, you just don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to make anyone feel out of place. But I think it's time for us at this point in stage for all of us to show up authentically. And on the flip side, for us to also accept, we don't need to know everything about other cultures. We just need to know that it's okay to be different and acknowledge that there is value in every one of us, in our cultures. We all come with a lot of wonderful history and cultural heritage. Let's all come together into this mosaic. And I think, um, I personally believe arts, consistent systematic opportunities for interaction that is based on mutual respect, trust and love and openness is the way to go. And I'm hearing, you know, you used uh, Dr. Doty's word again. It's officially your word, authentic, our authentic selves. Now, we're all in our, you know, we're, we're hunkered down. We're in our bunkers, our various bunkers. Uh, and it's very easy uh, to lose that authentic self, uh, Dr. Doty. Uh, what are the barriers to, to being an authentic person? And how, how do we get past that? Well, I think uh, what's been commented on actually is, frankly, fear of judgment. 
And this is something that's probably one of the most profound things that so many of us carry because it's this feeling that we're not worthy or that uh, an action we do is going to be judged in a negative fashion. And this is actually the where the issue of self-compassion comes in uh, because everybody deserves love. Uh, they are worthy and everyone can make a contribution. We were talking about silos a little bit. One of the other challenges for all of us is that people thrive in an environment of psychological safety. Again, what this means is not being judged, being accepted for who you are. And unfortunately, when we're afraid or anxious, we have a tendency to isolate ourselves with people who look like us, act like us, uh, because that's where we feel most, most comfortable. And so while that protects us on some level, it actually also serves as a separator us or a separation of us, uh, if you will, from the other. So I think the challenge for each of us, and it's probably the greatest challenge, is to look at the other as yourself. When you are able to accomplish that task, making the right decision, connecting with another person frankly, becomes easy because you act in some ways in your, self, your own self-interest when you're, you truly believe that the other is you and how you treat the other uh, is a reflection of you. And in some ways, you're rewarded for that. Then everything starts changing. And you know the reason the golden rule has been around for a, a, a millennia is because uh, it's a fact. And in fact, many of the spiritual religious practices, uh, while they may have overtones of religious dogma, the reason they're so powerful is at the base of every one of them is compassion, caring, and love. And our challenge is to take that and understand how we limit that and then to go forward and embrace everyone. And it is indeed a challenge but the rewards are so high, uh, it's an extraordinary opportunity. But this is one of the problems we have in America today, this, this disparity, and people feel uh, they're left out or they're not being rewarded or they're being judged. And again, fear, anxiety is what separates people and actually what results in a lot of people looking for a savior or someone to step in and make it all better. Uh, but the thing that makes it truly better is being kind and compassionate, in my opinion. Thank you. Now, I want to bring it back to Dr. Morthy's book a little. Uh, in his book, he discusses how loneliness can lead not only to emotional issues, emotional health issues, but physical health issues for people. Uh, and I wanted to ask Dr. Cody, given the way uh, the entire country really has been uh, cut off and feeling very lonely be, for, because of the pandemic. Is that something we're going to have to watch out for as a community, the physical effects of this loneliness in the coming year and the year after that? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think that in many ways, um, we're going to have a very, very long recovery period. Um, and we need to acknowledge that and accept that because um, the the whole year since the pandemic started has been about extraordinarily difficult uh, trade-offs uh, between 
um, you know, two or three or multiple really um, not good choices. Uh, and that has been very hard to understand and very hard to communicate. But um, the truth is that since, for the most part, we have been isolating away from each other, um, uh, many, many, many in the community have experienced a significant loss, um, you know, not just loss of someone dying of COVID, um, uh, but uh, loneliness uh, and, and, you know, so many other health, health conditions. And I'm frequently asked, you know, Dr. Cody, don't you care about anything other than COVID? Of, uh, you know, of course I do. And of course we all do. Um, uh, and, and the truth is that I think that we will have a period of time of recovery where we will see uh, probably um, increases in, in um, uh, you know, people's mental health really needs uh, quite a bit of care and attention. I don't know anyone who hasn't um, suffered themselves or know someone close uh, who's struggled with their mental health. Um, and uh, and and you're 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 absolutely right. Your mental health and your physical health are are really um, uh, all all interconnected. So I think people may experience their mental health with physical ills, um, and and maybe maybe vice versa. So I think I think just as far as you know, going back to acceptance to to accept that we have all been through something and are still going through something extraordinarily difficult, um, and and there's going to be a, a a fairly lengthy um, healing, healing process, I think. So, I mean, I think you're right that we've been, you know, we have been going through something really difficult and it's been amazing to watch people cope in their own ways. Uh, I've seen from early on in the pandemic, people dancing on their front porches, uh, other people banging pots and pans to thank healthcare workers. Some of those things are still going on in neighborhoods all around our community. Uh, and it's really been inspiring to, in my job uh, as a columnist, to hear from people who let me know uh, what their communities are doing to keep each other afloat, even while they're being social distanced and, and safe. And I wanted to know what things have you three actually seen or examples you have of people uh, connecting uh, despite the barriers we have? I know, Dr. Cody, you mentioned uh, some of them in terms of uh, people you've heard from in your past who've, who've connected with you technologically, I suppose. Uh, but uh, Dr. Doty, Usha, what, what have you guys seen uh, with people connecting? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, one thing that I think has, uh, that I've noticed is, uh, I don't know how many of the listeners have something called Nextdoor, which is sort of a community communication. And uh, what I've seen is that people ask for something and there are tons of people to give. And it's, it's even my own son, uh, you know, ask people in the neighborhood if older or elderly people or who people couldn't get out if they wanted their lawn mowed as an example. Uh, but doing these acts for another person, going up, picking up groceries, things like this uh, within that network, because, you know, it's, it's very close to you, it, you know, it's around you. Um, I think is very, very helpful. And again, I think that uh, uh, the most important thing to emphasize is, while you may feel like you're suffering, and this gets back to Usha's point and Dr. Cody's, is that everyone is suffering. 
Uh, and sometimes we get caught up in our own narrative. And this is the importance of self-compassion, but it's also uh, recognizing that others are suffering. And, you know, frankly, sometimes simply uh, a smile or doing a very small act of kindness can completely uh, change uh, an individual's life. And you don't even realize it. And certainly this idea of gratitude uh, is incredibly important. Uh, you know, there are so many people who are uh, unemployed, who have uh, difficulty with food security, uh, who have children who are stuck in small spaces. I mean, you know, this is very, very challenging for some. So when you look at yourself, almost regardless of your circumstance, uh, and in, even in my job as a neurosurgeon, I can assure you, no matter how bad you think you have it, there are many, many people who have it much worse. And that's just a reminder to be present to the suffering of others, but also motivate you to make an effort to be kind to others because you have no idea what another is suffering uh, when you interact with them necessarily. Usha, in what ways have you seen people connecting? Um, <clears throat> so during COVID, um, I feel like a lot of the people that were on this ever um, uh, increasing this treadmill that was just forever going at a faster and faster pace, right? Where we get caught up in just doing without really thinking about why we're doing it. And at some point, you know, when I'm working or for example, if I'm going too fast, I can't, you know, find the controls. I'm afraid I'm going to fall flat on my face. Um, it's disorienting, but you still keep doing it. Um, what I found is that COVID to some extent has forced us to slow down simply because you no longer have this fear of missing out. You know, you allow this permission to not do things that you always did. And that I think has allowed a lot of people to kind of go back to really re-examine. I've, I've done this myself for, for the organization as well as me personally, um, kind of really go inward a little bit and take this unique opportunity, which is probably hopefully just once in a lifetime to give ourselves permission to introspect, to find new, to figure out, first of all, are we in alignment? You know, a lot of times the momentum carries us so far afield from our values, from what we would like to think we are about, kind of bring us back into alignment and make sure that the activities uh, we indulge in going forward continue to be kind of aligned with our core values. Um, the other thing that I found is just the sheer ingenuity of people, you know, the things that they're able to come up with, um, you know, when they are faced with these really, um, really bad, dire circumstances, you know, you've seen um, arts cooperatives come together in ways to kind of support each other, to allow people to find ways to make a living. Um, the School of Arts and Culture, for example, in San Jose at the Mexican Heritage Plaza, they are largely a culture and arts-based or um, community organization. They have gone, they've pivoted literally in the face of pandemic to becoming a community resource, you know, offering COVID tests, COVID vaccines now, food distribution. So I feel like the pandemic has really forced us to some extent to go back to our first order needs, think about what is important, but also try to get back into realignment. And um, a lot of people may never go back to working the way they did before. Hopefully, you know, some of this perspective hopefully will last and uh, hopefully will help us streamline our activities and our priorities. So I'm seeing some of that. Well, it's, you know, pivot has been one of the big words of the past year and it's it's amazing to see communities pivot that way so that they're working together. I don't know if you have any other examples you'd like to share, Dr. Cody, or if we want to go on to the next question. 
Well, I, I, I've certainly seen the same way, the same uh, things, incredible uh, ability of people to adapt. Um, things change and people adapt uh, and, and, and find a way. I mean, myriad ex- examples, large, large and small. And that, that has been um, really heartening and very inspiring to watch. Great. Well, now I'm going to go on to some questions we've gotten from the audience. Uh, the first one is... I think probably, Dr. Cody, you might be the best person to answer that, but Usha or Dr. Doty, if you have uh, answers, you you may also want to say them. Uh, For people who are feeling isolated uh, or lonely, are there resources available for them through the county or things that they can do themselves to help deal with that? Um, there are resources through the county, through the behavioral health program. I think they're generally for um, people who are experiencing um, more more severe forms of loneliness. But I would be um, I would love to turn to my colleagues on the call for I think there's probably um, more simple and straightforward ways that that people can um, can manage feeling feeling isolated and, and feeling lonely. Well, certainly, I think, uh, frankly, just being out in nature, if you have the ability to go out in nature, has a very, very powerful uh, influence, as well as what we've discussed is finding an opportunity uh, to be of service. And then there are actually some technologies uh, that are available. Uh, There are some um, uh, chatbots that actually uh, use artificial intelligence to interact with you. Uh, there's something called Talkspace and other pro- platforms for uh, mental health issues to connect actually with the therapist. Um, so there are some resources uh, available. And, and again, there are even some platforms that allow you simply to uh, just connect with another person. It's, uh, it's not necessarily therapeutic per se, except for the fact that connecting with another person is highly therapeutic. And especially somebody who you can identify with in the sense that they're in the same boat as you and struggling. Because uh, when you share with another person your struggles in an authentic fashion, and they conversely share with you, it actually is extraordinarily extraordinarily powerful. In fact, there's an app called uh, Pure, P-U-U-R, which is a dyadic meditation app. And amazingly, it is even stronger than mindfulness or other meditation practices because of the nature of that connection. Uh, And and you don't even need to know the person's name, actually. You can just connect with them. Uh, And I think that can be also extraordinarily powerful. So there are some technologies that are available now that allow people uh, to connect with just another person or uh, potentially a mechanism uh, whereby uh, they have an uh, expertise in the mental health space. Great. Poor. I'm going to have to remember that. Usha, do you have any uh yeah, um, I think both Dr. Cody and Dr. Dodi have pro- provided some useful um, inputs. Um, what I would say is, you know, we we all talk a lot about how 
social media, for example, tend, people tend not to be authentic on social media. You know, just show up there, you put on the best, um, you, you present a part of yourself that you think other people will admire and accept. But I've also seen um, more recently on Twitter, for example, a couple of examples of people feeling despondent, people that um, will lost a spouse or a parent to COVID. And they just kind of post and say, I'm just, I need help. I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling terrible. And but if there if you can find it in yourself to be honest and vulnerable, um, you'll be amazed at how this social media that can be so fraught and negative sometimes can also kind of uh, embrace you in a way that lifts you up. Um, so I think asking for help is the first step, and um, you know, and of course, um, then there's all those other resources that Dr. Dodi and Dr. Cody talked about. Okay, we're getting uh, we're getting close to wrapping up. We're not quite there yet. Uh, so I'm going to start going through some of these questions a little quicker. The first one's actually really personal uh, for you guys. Well, actually for two of you, for Usha and Dr. Doty, we have a question from the audience asking, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the artwork behind you? Uh, this is this is one of the, the things about being on Zoom, uh, is people can see what's behind you. And uh, can, Usha, can you tell us uh, about the art that's behind you? I'll be happy to. You know, it's one of those rare things that my husband has found on a business trip and brought back. Um, typically, when he comes back with it, it just sits in storage because it doesn't meet with my approval. But this was something he brought <laughs> He brought back from Japan. And it's beautiful. It's actually kind of a two-panel thing, which I don't know if people use as maybe like a curtain. I'm not sure. Um, I love it because of the color, the composition. There's a rickshaw, which kind of reminds me of home in India. Um, but it also kind of reminds me sometimes um, of this kind of communist propaganda art, like a certain vibe <laughs> that it has. So I love it. I should probably kind of frame it and, and mount it so it, it brings out the best in it. But Thank you. So it's just something that my husband found on his travels. Well, and I feel a connection to it already. Dr. Doty, what have you got behind you? Actually, that is a uh, chest uh, that uh, was in a Tibetan monastery that was being destroyed, and it was saved. And uh, as some of the listeners may know, I uh, the Dalai Lama is actually the founding benefactor of the work I do at Stanford related to compassion. And I was chairman of the Dalai Lama uh, Foundation for many years. So I have this uh, connection uh, to uh, Buddhism, although I'm not a Buddhist. But uh, so this was uh, actually used to contain holy objects related to tantric uh, Buddhism, actually. And it's about 120 years old. And it's... Uh, uh, now, on, uh, for good or bad, it's filled with liquor now. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I can see Dr. Cody's got a bike behind her. It looks like it, as far as being adaptable, I am uh, in the in my garage uh, because there was too much going on in my home. Uh, so that my artwork is hanging bikes. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> that's uh, that's healthy artwork. So it's time for our last question, and I'm going to. It's actually since I'm the MC, I'm going to make it a two part question that living in this disconnected time of COVID, what have you learned about yourself and what hopeful message can you leave our audience with tonight? So why don't we start with uh, Dr. Cody? I'm just going alphabetically. Well, I mean, I, I think in many ways, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I quite made this clear, my experience during COVID has been extraordinarily different than just about everybody else I know, because everybody else is thinking about um, 
what is it like to slow down and spend a lot of time alone or spend a lot of time with just a few people and not have all of the hum of, of, of social connection. And I've actually had the opposite experience where I have been moving faster and working harder with more different people and, and like with them uh, than I ever have in my life. So I, I think, wow, I would, I would love to just lay under a tree with a book, you know, for about a month or maybe six. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, so I, um, well, I've certainly learned a lot of, about myself during the pandemic, but I think it has more to do with, um, I'm actually a very introverted person. I like to go slowly. I like to think for a long time. Um, and, uh, and I've not been able to uh, go slow or think for a long time. And I've had to talk to a lot of people and put myself out there. So, so that's been a real growth experience. And, and I, I guess what I've learned is that I, I can do it. Um, it, it does, um, it does, uh, it's not comfortable. Um, uh, but, but I'm getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, which I, I think is a useful, um, a useful learning that I can take forward. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, as, as far as some, something hopeful, I, 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 I just always want to remind myself and everyone that I'm with that we haven't experienced something like this in a hundred years. Um, and so of course we don't have it figured out. Uh, of course it's difficult. Uh, this, this hasn't happened in a hundred years. Um, and, and I think, um, like, uh, uh, everyone has commented on that the, to the extent that we can be compassionate with ourselves and sort of cut ourselves a little slack, <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the better off we'll, we'll, we'll be. Uh, Dr. Doty, what have you learned and what's your hopeful message? Well, uh, I've been uh, fortunate in some ways because I've been anchored by a uh, meditation practice, uh, which allows me to, I believe, be more resilient and not respond to um, uh, sort of these negative narratives uh, oftentimes. Although, of course, as a human being, that still happens. But, uh, you know, I can revert uh, to that, but really, I think the key is um, to be kind to yourself, and the very nature of being kind to yourself allows you to be kind to others. And uh, also, uh, as has been mentioned a number of times, uh, having gratitude. And there's a huge body of evidence uh, that when you have gratitude, even doing a gratitude journal where you just write down three things that you are grateful for each day has a huge, huge impact on your mental health because you see it forces you to actually look at the positive and not get lost in the negative. And I think that's uh, really the key. And also, as has been uh, pointed out too, is the fact that in the face of all that is bad about the pandemic, we've also seen extraordinary resilience and extraordinary actions by others um, to help. And I think that just shows you, uh, frankly, uh, the nature uh, that we all have in ourselves, which is to uh, proceed forward, to be helpful, and by doing so, change people's lives and ultimately uh, changing your own life. That's a great thought. Usha? Yeah. So for me, um, I think my personality has always been, you know, setting yourself goals, do, you know, 
um, husbanding all the resources you need to achieve them and just going out there and getting it. And I've always felt like the output is something I control. And uh, the, the better my inputs are, the better the output. And I think COVID especially has um, has made it so obvious how fragile uh, things are. You know, this kind of illusion of you being in control and controlling your destiny is just so flawed. Um, and, you know, I kind of realized, and in some ways, it also, the suffering and the magnitude of this pandemic has also made me more humble about my own pursuits and my, you know, how big my life is in the grand scheme of things, or rather how small it is. And so it's helped kind of, um, uh, it, it's been an awakening to me. And you would think that somebody at my age has already had a couple of these episodes, so we, I would be humble, but some just the... the the scale of the pandemic, I think, and the suffering around me has has really made me realize that really, you know, we are just like rudderless boats in the ocean to some extent. We may kind of feel like we have a lot of control, but we don't. And um, so moving forward, what I hope to do is to certainly not still aspire to, to great things and still kind of uh, practice excellence and do all of that, but also be humble and to some extent accepting of the universe and its ways and um, not take myself so seriously, you know. And so hopefully that perspective will last. You know, there is the saying in the the Hindu and Buddhist tradition, it's called smashana vairagyam, you know, when when somebody dies, especially uh, in, in Hindus, they usually kind of the body is taken to the cremation grounds and cremated right away. And usually women don't go, it's the men that go there. But there is a certain kind of um, aha moment that the people that attend the funeral experience when kind of the body is just right in front of their eyes turns to ash kind of like the, a moment of clarity that comes from that about the the kind of how uh, how mortal we are, how fragile life is. Unfortunately, that does not last very long. It, usually you come back home and the next day you're back getting caught and, you know, wrapped around the axle about the most trivial things. But I hope that this pandemic will kind of give, a, give me more lasting perspective, give us all more lasting perspective. Well, I do think it will give us all more lasting perspective and Dr. Cody, when you're ready to, to sit and read those books, Silicon Valley Reads has selected six of them this year. And you can start with Dr. Morthy's book if you haven't read it yet. And we have other books about music and animals and uh, all sorts of ways people are connecting. I'd like to thank the three of you for joining us tonight to kick off our season of programming. I think it's a really important thing uh, for people to hear from you and understand the way that we can be together even while we're apart. So now I'm going to turn it back over to our friends at the Commonwealth Club who are going to play our closing message from Santa Clara County Librarian, Jennifer Weeks. Hello, I am Jennifer Weeks, County Librarian for the Santa Clara County Library District and co-chair of Silicon Valley Reads. I hope you enjoyed this opening event. Thank you to our panelists, moderator, our generous donors, and to all of you who Zoomed with us this evening. This is only the beginning of this year's exciting program focused on positive connections with more than 100 free events throughout February and March. Silicon Valley Reads relies on community and individual donations to be able to offer outstanding events just like this one. We are proud that all of our programs are offered free of charge, and this is only possible with your support. We invite you to visit the website 
to contribute to this important program and view the full list of upcoming events at siliconvalleyreads.org. Thank you, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.